Stacking them deep, selling them cheap. That tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're just out here stacking pennies. All right, guys. It's a bit of a dichotomy of a show today, Chuck. Why is that? Because we have to talk about the abysmal weekend the seven had, but the opposite of whatever abysmal means for the sport. Because the LA clash at the Coliseum was unbelievable. This is Stacking Pennies. I'm Corey LaJoy. We'll catch up on my terrible weekend. They let us actually go back yesterday before they tore the track up to finish up. Uh, we're we're going to talk about that here in a couple minutes. Here with Chuck Bush. Yo. Pit Road Boats and Los Angeles, Ryan Flores. Still trying to figure out what dichotomy means. That means something that has two in it, and I heard it on the way yeah, uh, down here, so I wanted one. to use it. My word of the day. And also, not so icy Blue Mountain takes because he called the winner of the LA Clash this past week. Jonathan Merriman. Yeah, dichotomy is actually a cotomy that's died. Good yeah, it's kind of like a t-shirt. Uh, I don't think that's actually the definition of it. Okay. You've got yeah, to be feeling go. good about yourself because this is the first correct pick you've had, I believe, in your entire life. Is that fact? I'm ruining my reputation is what I'm doing. Nobody likes warm beer, Corey. That was warm beer. That actually kind of been my ice cold beer because Joe Logano got the job done. Let's just go ahead and get into it. What a sick track. It looked unbelievable. The energy around the event downtown even people were talking about it at dinner like it had the whole city just i don't know about the whole city but it had just a lot of energy around it chuck what did you think you were out there i was i saw you yeah waved yeah. at you we did a little thing i was your sleeper pick worst <laughs> pick you've ever made in your entire life but my actual pick was not a bad pick because it was a guy that sat on the pole for the event or the qualified well the candy man had a strong run just saying. Just that. a little bit too short for Next Gen Joe. Yeah. Hey, that's I bad mean, news, though, for gen, the field. I, I, don't, I hope you can't put a whole lot of stock into who ran good, but <laughs> I tell you what you can put stock into is the bigger teams figuring out how to make those race cars go fast, faster than little teams. And that became a lot more apparent earlier than I expected it to. I thought the bullseye was going to be a little bit bigger for us to hit. Apparently it was not. Uh, we can get into how we hedged our bets on setup-wise and why we couldn't get to a place where we were happy with it or could make speed. But the big teams still made the show, and the little teams, I think, did not so much. Besides, you can talk about Rick Ware, Ryan Priest racing his way in. They go, those Rick Ware cars are getting built at Sewer Haas Racing. So, like, there's nobody out there with bad junk anymore, quote-unquote. So we saw two champions, Kurt Busch and Brad Keselowski. Brad Keselowski somehow was worse than both Spire cars. I don't even know how it's possible, but they just missed it. Well, the 19 missed it as well, but he had a provisional. Right. So he was just as bad. He was really bad. I have a question for you, Corey, in terms of, you know, it, it looked like from my seat, the people who were in heat one didn't necessarily, or, or practice group one didn't have as good of a practice as practice group four because of the rubber laid down on the track. Also, as it progressed, it seemed like, you know, that set year qualifying and then the people who went out early in qualifying had a hotter track, which you were in that group. Harvick was in that group. Uh, did that affect how you adjusted your car setup-wise for the race? Is that a potential yeah, a good question? Well, your qualifying order was based off owner's points from last year. So the 45 car, Kurt Busch, had the Starcom charter, which was the worst charter in points, right? So he went out 36. Spire bought the Rick Ware charter that was lowest in points, they gave the seven points to the 77, 
and gave my car the lower charter to get it up in points this year. This is really the only time of the year that's ever going to bite us, right? You park a couple spots down in, in, in line or whatever, but that probably would have been my only question next year for the procedures if I do it back. Like, hey, let's just invert practice speeds and do worst to first. And Ryan can probably talk, it was a lot, it was really close and similar to his indoor racing stuff. The first group on the racetrack, they're just putting rubber down, dusting the track off. The second round, you're starting to get a little bit more rubber on the racetrack. And by the third one, it's starting to really rubber up and be hammered down. Yeah, so, and, and the longer you run on those tires, the faster you would get, which is opposite of what, you know, you get at like a Charlotte or a mile and a half. Those short tracks where you're low air, you know, the, the more heat you get in them, and, and the track gets heat in it, the more cars that run over it. The track actually builds heat itself, so that, that'll make... Uh, each round get faster. So we kind of fooled ourselves. Uh, I th so we had the 77, he was in group three, we were in group two. And our thought process going into the event was we were thinking that we were gonna have to put a lot of drive, like forward drive into the car, as opposed to making one lap speed or making the tires fire up. We fooled ourselves because we were, I don't know, 13th in practice, we thought we were okay. The 77 was eighth or ninth, and he was in the third segment. So we didn't adjust our car. Our car was too, in layman's terms, sloppy. It was rolled up. It wasn't lighting the tires up, making heat quick enough because by the time the car came, to, came alive, it was 25, 30 laps into the run. And that was obviously 10 laps longer than the heat race. And there was only 10 laps to go in the LCQ by the time our car even got to where it was driving how it should have, lap five. And now, since everybody has the same parts and pieces, now those little incremental things and adjustments and shock builds are gonna to matter that much more. And the variables of cloud cover for qualifying, where you got to qualify are gonna matter that much more. So I think it's gonna be, it's gonna be hard. I mean, just like racing's hard, but the teams that have the smartest guys and the most amount of data points are gonna separate themselves from the teams that don't, I think. Well, you look at, I mean, tire pressure is such a big deal. And it was the first time that we've ever raced on that tire. So the guys that can, that, you know, Gibbs, who has essentially six cars yeah. that they, you know, can throw different tire pressures in every car, you know, do a, they can do a sweep without having to do it, you know, right. in it your take, car each run. It takes you, six runs for us to figure out what they learned in one run. One run. run. So that's where, you know, and then you look at guys like the 31, right? The 31 was really was, good, but it's an RCR car even though it's colleague and the eight car was probably the best car there. And the three car, if that thing went 15 more laps, might've won the race. Right. So, you know, the RCR cars um, really had a lot of speed and, and you saw Justin probably had a really, you know, they had a really good setup. Justin had a really good car. He got sunned a little bit from, from Kyle Larson, which. You don't see Larson do that much though. So it might've no. been warranted. Like I didn't see what led up to that. I think somebody pushed the 31 into Larson. So but, Larson thought he got run all over. But I wonder if, I wonder if he was pissed off about something before then. Like, I wonder what, what his body of work was before that. But anyway, hey, the champ. Might have been. Fed he apologized. Lars, Larson apologized after the race, I think. But he said he did it on purpose. Definitely did it on purpose. I mean, that was blatant. But, you know, that's, that's part of it. Like, you get guys running into each other, pissed off at each other. Speaking of pissed off at each other, another friend of the show, young Ryan Blaney, threw his Hans device at Eric Jones. They got into a little bit. Eric kind of smashed into him. Kind of rough them up a little bit, Chuck. What did you think about that little interaction? I mean, I thought that's just part of, you know, 
this sort of environment that we had in the short track in the Coliseum. You saw it a, a couple of times. I mean, the one that stood out to me was not necessarily that one, but Harrison Burton in uh, the heat races and Ty Dillon. Ty Dillon going after it. Like there was a lot of little incidents that were happening throughout all of those heat races and then the last chance qualifying races that, you know, set up this, the storylines that we're talking about. And I mean, Blaney and, uh, I didn't hear there. Yeah, I don't uh, want to, I don't want to breeze over Ty Dillon in that LC. No, we, 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 we will get back to that. We will get back to that. Old son ain't been in a race car in a year and came <laughs> out there and said, look, he had hey, a lot of pent up frustration. Dude, oh my goodness. They were to the point at a short track where you're fighting. It's like, all right, we got to fight. Like, he was to that point where yes. he pushed Harrison Burton around enough where I'm like, these guys might have to duke it out. When, and yes. I'll say, like, early on, I didn't think, like, I was looking at the 21, and I think I sent it, my hot take in a text thread was, uh, old Harrison Burton is, is no wood chopper. Like, you know, Glenwood, the wood chopper at Bowman Gray was great. That 21 car at Bowman Gray was, you know, that's who you wanted to beat. Chuck was there to reenact. Yeah, I was. I know I was there in, in his first run at Bowman yeah. Gray. Yeah, back in the day. Um, no, but I, I didn't think that he, you know, was doing what he needed to do to get into the race. And then you, their incidents that they had, and then he gets in because Ty jumps the restart not once but twice in that uh, that that race. So, are you saying Harry's a slouch? Chuck? No, I'm not. That's what I'm hearing. He got better as it went on. Like by the time he got it, like he'd figured it out, but he was struggling there for a little bit. But it also wasn't just the 42. I mean, the two was a ramrod, the 21, and- and hey man, that's my team. Yeah. <laughs> like that was just like, once the precedent was set, like if you were the third car on the inside row, you're shipping the front two guys out of the way, no matter what comes about it. You got to look at it like debits and credits, right? Like if you cash one too many checks, in that LCQ and in Tyrone's point, he didn't even make the race because he got DQ'd. Like those checks that he cashed with the two, the 23, the 21, like those are gonna get paid back in points races yeah. when money's on the line. Like I thought that that was very short-sighted. I get doing whatever you gotta do to make the show. Hey but, Skip, were you there this weekend? No, I wasn't. I watched it on TV like a real fan. Oh, I wondered why the wheels stayed on that two car. Oh, the wheels, I thought the wheels fell off. Um, Metaphorically, but, they yeah, did. metaphorically. But the one thing about Ty that, I, and I, I want to touch on this, and I don't want to harp on it too much, but the rules were pretty set in stone before we got there. You restart in the restart zone, and you don't fire first if you're second. It didn't matter. They said it doesn't matter who gets to the line first. You don't fire first. The leader fires first. He clearly fired first, and he went three and a half car lengths before the restart box. And then I heard him on Sirius, and he was kind of uh, complaining that NASCAR made made the call, but. I mean, at the end of the day, he was wrong both times. So, like, just because it didn't work out to your competitive advantage, you got called on it, don't bash NASCAR for so, it. And that's what I hate, I hate when people bash the sanctioned body because they made a mistake. I mean, product point, of not being in the car for a year. Yeah, like, but you should, I'm a picker guy and I know the rules. And, and to, to that point, like, it states clearly in the driver's meeting that you have to restart between the single mark and the double red mark. On the, uh, but we can get back to that because right now. Well, that sounds really familiar because you're the voice. I know, voice I'm the of voice the... of that. But right now we have another voice. Uh, our, our, our penny stacker of the week, I think, is on the phone with us now. Love that. Let's get him on. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. 
Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Ben Kennedy, Court of the Joy here with Stacking Pennies. Do you read me? I read you. Do you read me? I read you loud and clear, buddy. Thanks for joining us here on the show. We appreciate it. Has it really sunk in yet of just the event that took place this past weekend? Uh, I think it's slowly starting to sink in. You know, a, a lot of positive feedback, you know, from the industry, from our fans. I think for the, the people that were there on Sunday, you know, everyone that I talked to sounded like they had a, a fantastic time. And, you know, seeing the ratings come out today and, uh, and some of the viewership numbers, I think it's something that our industry and our, our sport should be certainly um, proud of. So it was a uh, a really neat day and uh, a great way to promote the Daytona 500 just a couple of weeks absolutely no, no question about that it was one of the biggest steps i think and one of the biggest gambles that i can remember being a fan of the sport for my entire life that has happened so did you think i'll ask the softball question was the gamble worth it uh i would say so you know um it was to your point it was a risk um, I think we knew it was a risk going in. I mean, we'd never done anything like this before. Um, we had never rented a stadium. We had never built a temporary track inside a stadium like that. We had never had a, a halftime show or Henry CJ. I mean, there were so many new things that went along with it. And you know, granted, there were probably a few things that you know we'll take as learnings and, and maybe look to change in the future. But there were also probably you know some things that we could apply um, in the future too. And I think. You know, from the racing product standpoint, especially between the heat races and last chance races, you know, personally as a fan, I thought it was a ton of fun to watch. And then the main was exciting too, but, you know, I think there's a, a lot that we can take away from this. You know, certainly it was an investment, and we knew that from the start, but it was also an investment to uh, to hopefully continue to grow our sport. And, you know, I, I think we accomplished a lot of that on Sunday. A lot of new fans out there, a lot of new faces, and it uh, seems like everyone was having a good time. Man, we've seen the sport be as flexible as it's been in its entire existence over the last couple of years. Do you think that was a response to COVID with flexibility of schedule with TV partners and things like that? How much more flexible or how much more creative is NASCAR going to be with uh, just engaging the fans, taking the new venues, new TV contract here on the horizon as well? So what do you see the flexibility of NASCAR paying dividends here in the future? It's, uh, it's a good point. Um, you know, I think we've, you know, as we've said, we've tried to be really bold and aggressive with our scheduling over the past couple of years. A lot of changes that we saw in 2021, I think a lot of them were positive. At least the feedback that we've gotten were positive. 22, we want to make that next step. And, you know, Worldwide Technology Raceway and going to St. Louis, I think will be a great market for us. Coliseum was a, a great addition to the schedule. And as we think about 23 and beyond, I think we'll continue to see changes. 
I don't know that we'll see the same level of changes that we've seen in 21 or 22, but we still want to make meaningful changes. And, you know, it's something that we've tried to say from the start is, you know, there's a lot of kind of history and tradition and a lot of our marquee events. I mean, think about, you know, Darlington on Labor Day weekend or Throwback weekend or Daytona 500 on President's Day or Coke 600 on Memorial Day. You know, those are kind of milestones throughout our schedule that people get to look forward to. And I think we want to protect those, but at the same time, if there's an opportunity for us to innovate, let's, let's innovate and explore you know, new concepts and new ideas and new markets for us to take racing to. And I think that's what we're getting to. So, yeah, I, I don't know that we'll see the same level of changes in the next couple of years, but, you know, we still want to make meaningful changes. We still want to make calculated changes and, uh, you know, really want to be smart about it. Aside from a brand new temporary track inside a football stadium, essentially, you built the place in six weeks. That was also, let us remind the listeners, the first race on the next-gen car, which is another tremendous gamble on NASCAR's uh, behalf of just making the team switch over every single part and piece that they've been competing with for the last 40 years. You had to be holding your breath to just make sure that next-gen car holds up just as much as you were hoping that the event was going to be a hit, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, thankfully we've had, unlike the track, we've had a, a few years to be able to, to test the next-gen car. And, you know, John Probst and, you know, all of the teams working together have done a fantastic job, you know, all the way back to the first test that we had. And I guess it was the fall of, of 19 up until um, the race this past weekend. Really proud of all the effort that went into it and, you know, We'll, we'll still take learnings away from both that race as well as the Daytona 500 in the entire season. Um, it's certainly not going to be perfect out of the box. You know, that said, I think I'm really proud of, you know, the work that everyone's done to have a successful weekend. And, you know, Steve O'Donnell said it well after the race in our um, time with the media on Sunday is, you know, the fact that the next-gen car wasn't, you know, kind of a key storyline was a good thing. You know, people weren't talking about any of the issues they could have because frankly there there weren't a ton of issues so i'm sure there'll be challenges you know from kind of the supply standpoint from um, a handful of things but you know i know the team will be ready to address them as it comes up as a competitor i'm just asking because i'm curious is there a better chance that the la coliseum happens again or there's an international race that's a good question um you know i i think it's I mean, I think after this weekend and just the natural buzz that you had in Los Angeles area, I don't know about you, Corey, but just walking through, I mean, even my hotel in Los Angeles, I mean, people were talking about the race. Um, and we're talking about NASCAR being in town, and we haven't had that um, in a while. So I think Los Angeles did a, a great job of embracing us, and, you know, the Coliseum and USC were tremendous partners. So I, I think between the two, personally, I would lean a little more towards um, LA but that said I, I think there's an opportunity for us and we've talked about this you know to take this internationally you know there's probably only a handful of you know stadiums and venues you could realistically go to and build a temporary track that you know we could actually put on a great, good race with which we're going to do an audit on but you know, I do think there's an opportunity especially as you think about some of the Olympic stadiums and you know, larger soccer teams that we could go to um, and especially with our international series, too. You know, we've got three great series in Canada, Mexico, and Europe right now. 
and uh, and want to expand that further into new markets. And I think there's uh, a handful of new venues that we could go and, and potentially look at to you know bring NASCAR racing to some of these larger urban markets. Love that. Unfortunately, my seat for the actual main event was right behind your seat because I talked to you for a couple minutes, not where I wanted to be watching it. But what I did notice was just the the range of age and all types of people at the race was what you guys set out to achieve by, in a lot of ways, cranking the entertainment knob a little bit more than the competition knob at some of the events. Do you think that that was a success with just, I saw kids from three years old having the time of their life all the way up to 70 and everywhere in between. Some people didn't have a clue who Ice Cube was or Pitbull, but they went for the racing. I think there was a little bit for everybody there. What did you think when you just sat down and watched those cars take the green flag for that race? I agree. I mean, I think to your point, um, a lot of younger fans, I saw a lot of you know, teenagers there. We had a, a USD college section, which was just packed. I think their entire football team was there. So to your point, it was certainly younger and, uh, and more diverse, which was fantastic. Um, and, you know, that was kind of one of the, the reasons for us doing this is to bring, you know, new fans into our sport and as we said, 70% of the people that were there on Sunday had never been to a NASCAR race before. And you know, I think just reading some of the feedback online, especially from the folks that were there, um, seems like they had a great time. And you know, I know there's elements of that event that aren't really traditional to what you might see at a NASCAR race, but it also felt like being in a new market, having it being an exhibition race, and then being in a place like Los Angeles is an opportunity for us to get some big names in there, have Pitbull, you know, as a pre-race show, have Ice Cube as a halftime performer. You know, let's test out and see what you know music might look like during the downtimes and breaks during a race. So I think that all kind of fed off each other, and then had a, a chance kind of going to the concert, and then after the race, just to walk around outside the concourse a little bit. And uh, to your point, I mean, a, a ton of young people, a lot of people smiling. I saw a couple of kids dancing as they were heading out. And it, I think it was just a, a really neat day and, and the energy there just really was incredible. Absolutely. One more question before we get to the hard hitting, would you rather questions. So we went from one side of the pendulum of the smallest, tightest, probably the most uh, grueling track on this next gen car for the first race ever out at a quarter mile. Bumpers hold up, more or less the wheels are hold up. We weren't, we weren't having flat tires like some people expected. We're going to swing it all the way to the other side and go to one of the biggest tracks that we go to where the style of racing is completely different. From a NASCAR perspective, what are you guys expecting to see out of the duels and obviously out of the Daytona 500? I think we'll see some really exciting racing. If the test at Daytona a couple of weeks ago is in the indication, you know, I think we'll see some really exciting racing. I think you know, probably some good pack racing. You know, I think we saw during the test a couple of cars would get together and kind of, you know, get out in front of the pack for a little bit. But it seemed like they couldn't stay together as long as they have um, in the past. So you know, certainly we'll we'll monitor all of that stuff. But I think the, the racing action is going to be exciting. I think the cars look fantastic. They look great on the track. I think all the teams have done a great job just putting the decal package and graphics together on it. And I think it's going to feel like a, you know, a, a, a fresh and new, you know, 500, but, you know, still keeping a lot of the history and tradition that we have. And, you know, have a sold-out crowd there, it, it's really going to be something special. So 
I can't wait for it. I told the, our team yesterday after the clash, you know, we talked about last year being the best season ever. I think we're going to one-up it this year, and I think this is going to be our best season ever. Well, it's certainly off to a good start. I'm going to pull the old competitive heartstring a little bit with this first question. Would you rather win the L.A. Clash at the Coliseum as a driver but never have the event again or have the event every year and be a spectator? Uh, I'll take the latter every day of the week. <laughs> I was talking to someone the other day because, you know, being able to, to win, and, I mean, you know how big and cool it is to, to win a race and get to victory lane. You know, winning at Bristol, I thought was the best day of my life, but Sunday this past weekend was, you know, probably one of that. It was a, it was a really, really neat day. And selfishly, I enjoyed being a spectator because I got to watch all the races, got to watch the heat race, the last chance races, got to enjoy the concert, got to enjoy the event. So it's a good question, but I'll uh, I'll be a spectator all day. Love that. I, I mean, it's a lot less nerve-wracking being a spotter or a spectator, for sure. <laughs> all right. If you, had, imagine. if you had to eat only one thing for the rest of your life, are you eating L.A. tacos or Martinsville hot dogs? Ooh. <laughs> um, I, I have to go with tacos. I, I'm I'm a Mexican food fanatic. Um, I love it. I I do love a good hot dog. I don't know that I could do it every day in my life though. So I'm gonna have if, to go with the uh, I'm gonna have to go with the tacos. I don't know if physically possible to eat more than like you know a couple days worth of hot dogs and not keel over. All right, last one. This is my favorite question to ask anybody. But obviously, used to be a, a driver all the way. Won a truck series race. I wanted to ask you, if you had to pick one track and one car to race at for the rest of your life, what's your combination? Hmm. Um, well, I would say the next-gen car just because I've never driven the next-gen car before, and it just it looks, it looks so cool, and it looks like a blast to drive. As a driver, I mean, I, I really I enjoyed Bristol a lot. I think it's just such a cool racetrack. You know, it's... It's fun because you can run, you know, different grooves from the bottom to the middle to the top. I think as a driver, that would probably be, be my choice in the next-gen car. Well, maybe, maybe you can make a couple calls, see if you know somebody that you can drive a next-gen car one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> I went out to the um, the Bowman Gray test in October of last year when we were testing for the, the Coliseum, and, uh, and Smoke and, and Junior and Clint were out there testing it, and I was so bummed because I – I finally got to the track, and uh, they asked if I wanted to jump in the car, and I literally had nothing with me. I didn't have a helmet, a haunt, a fire suit, or anything. So I'm going to take them up on the offer next time, and I'll be prepared. You've always got to take a helmet to the racetrack, Ben. That's a rookie mistake. <laughs> I should know better. Uh, you should know better. But now I'm glad you're wearing the suit, and you're, you're doing a great job rep representing the sport, man. Congrats on a great weekend, and thank you for joining us, Stagging Pennies. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Corey. Good stuff, boy. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com match. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. There you have it. That was a good interview. I like talking to my buddy Ben Kennedy. Man, I think that he was kind of the leader of that whole, uh, that whole race, so... Pretty dang cool what they were able to accomplish there in six short weeks at the L.A. Coliseum. But we were going to try to have my good buddy Next Gen Joe on. But breaking news, he just had his third yeah, third baby, Amelia Logano. So congrats I'm excited to, Brittany to, see. And, to Brittany and Joey, Next Gen Joe. Excited to see Joey be a girl dad. He's very much a boy dad right <laughs> He's now. very so much a be. boy dad. Now, if she's going to be turn, she's going to turn out to be a race car driver. Maybe. Like, or a figure skater. Or a figure skater. Runs yeah. in the family. Both of which run in the family. Yeah. So. It remains to be seen. She could but be a speed skater. Anyway, he's going to be soft because the girls make you soft and he's already a little bit sensitive. Mary that was a great point. That's you a hot a, take. You, you have a blend of both. Yeah. Speed skater in the Olympics. In the Olympics. Skip, Love that. Have, you, uh, have you had your fingernails or toenails painted? You're a girl, uh, Dad. Nah, man. I, I, I draw a line somewhere. <laughs> he's not no. Scott Speed. He's not going to admit. That's something he's probably not going to admit. It's yeah. been done. Uh, and if I I'll did, admit it. If I did, it comes right off. Like, I'm not going mean, to leave it. Like, some of these girls are like, oh, I leave my nails because my daughter painted them. No, dude, that's coming off. Before I leave <laughs> I've never been to the mall and got it done. But, no, you know, I'm not maybe. going to the mall. Toenails to only. That's, Merriman goes to get his, ear, his ears pierced at the mall. only reason I'm going to the mall Looks is like for he the goes food to court. The food court. Yes, Sabaro he, Pizza. He's a Cinnabon kind of guy. <laughs> Punch <laughs> card. He's also still buying his concert tickets uh, at the mall. He goes and stands in line. What the, what else we got? What else we got from the class, well, Chuck? I, I want to touch on what Ben Kennedy said in his interview about the ratings that we got. I think it was around 4.28 million uh, viewers, uh, a 2.3 Nielsen rating, which I mean, I don't know if that means anything to the people listening, but it was a 168% spike in viewership for the Bushlight Clash, the the most viewed NASCAR non-Daytona 500, I think, on Fox since like 2016. Let me translate like that, that wow. for the viewers. Yeah, that's love. damn good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, love that. Three digits percentage up, thumbs up. So I, I will say, like, I watched it from just a fan's perspective on TV with my buddies back in New Jersey. Like, first time I got the all those guys race short tracks, and we watched it in the shop. And like, I had some buddies there, the Molesworths, that were in the grandstands. They Facetime me. And just watching it and seeing like there's a student section and not like we're getting to the point where like NASCAR is for everyone, right? And I feel like there's the old guard that kind of has played like 
keep that out of here or yeah. whatever. But like, man, it's it's There's so cool. It's so cool to see everybody embracing it. And we, you know, our sport is is so is so good and so competitive that uh, that we don't need to play the victim anymore and try to try to appease everybody. Everybody's starting to enjoy it for what it is. I've been saying it for years now in stacking pennies, Chuck. We got to make NASCAR cool again, and NASCAR looked no cooler than it did this weekend. Yeah, Ice Cube. Ice Cube, like that, like that was one of the cooler things to me was to see. Because I, I asked this question at dinner one night: Is Ice Cube who is more, uh, not not necessarily like culturally culturally relevant, but between Ice Cube and Pitbull, right? Like Pitbull is Mr. Worldwide, but we know him in NASCAR. He's an owner in NASCAR now. Like, and but when I think of LA, I think of Ice Cube and having him there. He just sounded like LA. So yeah. I was on certified suicide watch till about 4.15. I go up there, sneak my way into the NASCAR suite, grab uh, Elijah and ginger ale to soothe the pain. And I'm standing next to Gwen Stefani and Blake Shelton, rubbing shoulders with Ben Kennedy. Tough life. Crying in the breast milk. And I was sourpuss all the way to the halfway point. When Ice Cube comes on, I cheered right up. So our, great. our booth, where, where the digital folks were was the visiting coaches room. So like, you know, we were calling plays like 65 power toss, uh, you know, power trap, whatever. Anyway, we could roll up the windows in there. So like for the heat races, we had the windows up, mm. then we closed them for the last chance qualifying races. But when Ice Cube came out, those things went up and we're all just sitting there like, this is, we are here yeah. in the LA Coliseum watching a NASCAR race and Ice Cube is performing. Now. There are some people that really don't like that. They are, but you know what? Every once in a while, if we do that, so the what? Yeah. And I I self-censored myself. If we did it every every week, who cares? Well, the halfway break, I I want it to be special, though. Like, I don't want it to be like, oh, this is something we're going to do every week. If it's a special thing, it means more. And for a clash, for an exhibition race, like this, that type of stuff, it works there. Can you tweak the format a little bit of the race? Maybe, sure. But I don't want to have in the Daytona 500 a uh, you know, halfway break. And a, like Dude, that's, that's what it is. I'll, the 500 is the 500. Yeah. Uh, and I'll be honest. I don't know what I would change from this past weekend. Like, as a, as a format. Like, actually. Probably right from I wanna, spring. I wanna, no, I would change. <laughs> Maybe like, air whatever, pressure. No, no. For the 17, <laughs> we'll take whatever sub we had, crumple it up, throw it out, and then we'll come back with something next year. But I would say that if you were in the playoffs last year, you should automatically get a starting spot. That's what I would That's what I would make a case for. That would actually hurt me because it would make less spots to qualify for, but that should be like the incentive. If you make the playoffs, you make the clash start the year off. You know what I, I disagree with that. I disagree with that. Why? You got, no, you, you got no drama. You have, I mean, you know, I think that's part of the appeal is, is watching Goliath go up against David and seeing – guys like ryan priest or you know eric jones a talented guy but guys like that make the field and guys like kurt bush sit out and truex have to take a provisional yeah I, fair point i like fair point like i like the provisional thing but I, I what i didn't like was seeing truex sit out that race because he got the spot i get it mm, i understand yeah. it i understand it from a competitor standpoint and from a parts on the car like i get it i really do but like part of me is like man i don't want to see yeah. him just sitting there and then get it i want to see him race and yeah. the thing what that I, I would change I want to see more racing. Like, I wanted more. Like, I felt like at the end of the day, I was like, I could have watched a little bit more racing. Maybe make it a 200-lapper. Well, 
yeah, I think it was perfect. I, I thought want, it was perfect. I want people to leave the track wanting more. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, you're going to get more two weeks in Daytona 500. Exactly. If you give them too much and they don't want to, oh, yeah. you know, you want, that. that's perfect. Yeah. You'd rather be too short than too long. Right. And the Clash is always sort of an appetizer for the 500 and... I mean, I think this wet the appetite. That was quite the hors d'oeuvre. I was I'll agree with Skip 100%. Yeah, I was upset for Corey uh, all the way up until I saw Jeff Gordon wave around that torch next to Reggie Bush, and Reggie Bush was like, get that thing away from me. <laughs> and I started laughing, so that's where. Yeah, we just we just sucked. We stink, we sucked, and we stunk. But at least you didn't, like, wreck and get on TV. If you're going to have a bad day. Stay off TV. Stay off TV. Yeah, that's that was usually been my motto for the first five years of my cup career. I got a question with the sort of, if you take the exhibition style mm. thing with it, would you ever foresee a time when it wouldn't just be cup doing exhibition races, where you would have Xfinity or trucks doing a companion something in something like that to kind of promote, maybe it's on Saturday, like they have stuff to get people to the track to like get the appetite going a little bit. I thought about this um, watching that, and I think that the West series would be good to have there, but I think it'd be good to have there on Friday after qualifying, and I think it'd be good to have them there on Friday before practice to run the track in. Yeah. Just to make the track better. Because on Saturday, if you get too much stuff, it gets oversaturated. Let it be, like, when you think of NASCAR, you're thinking Dale Sr., Jeff Gordon, cup racing. Um, but there's a place for support series to get the track better for the cup cars. And also, you're supporting your support series by giving them a good stage to race on. Yeah, but now that the now that the foundation's laid, there's there can be tweaks like that for years to come. There's also, remember there, there was like the Scion celebrity races, they can get a couple cars and have yeah. some like, yeah. ha have Ice Cube drive a, I don't know, Prius and smash into somebody. Like, I don't know, like, yeah. you can have races like that to rubber the track in, because you don't want the first practice group to be just a complete wash. Right. You'd like the track to be somewhat raceable right off the bat. And that's where you can do the gimmicky type thing. Not to call, yeah. not to call it a gimmick, but something yeah. that, you know what, I'm gonna tune in to watch this because I wanna see what happens. Yeah. I think we've learned from racing though, like that we don't need gimmicks, especially at our, in, our, in our time. Like I think we've made that mistake enough to where just the racing is good enough. And we saw that this weekend. And I don't think gimmick's the right yeah. word. Yeah, I, th I think it's just something that brings people in a little bit more to get them there earlier. Look, if you want a gimmick, yeah. shoot somebody out of a cannon in the middle of the, yeah. you know. Like, we, did talk, we, we talked about that. Like, <laughs> at the end, like once you, uh, you know, if you're ejected from the race, like you don't make the race, you get ejected out of the uh, Coliseum <laughs> you, from the you know the You know the, pr the problem that's now presented for as good as the Clash was? The All-Star Race. Yes. Like, that should not be at a mile and a half racetrack. There is no excuse. You can tell me... If you, uh, Marcus or whoever, like, there is not an excuse to take the all-star race to a mile and a half racetrack anymore. Like, that excuse was done and over with Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Like, bring that thing somewhere. Not at a mile and a half. You bring so, it to one of your weekly, one of your weekly series tracks or build a track wherever the hell you want. Build a track in downtown Manhattan or Miami, wherever you want to do it. I mean, they, yeah, they got, they got the Nashville Fairgrounds. They've got Wilkesboro. They've got... You know they've got all this stuff they can do, and now the now the blueprint is there. I, I got one last thing before we I go know, to your mustache with the fly uh, off. My mustache is about. To, I saw somebody tweet this, and they said, "Why you know instead of putting all this money into this Coliseum and doing this, why not, why not put money into it wasn't Irwindale? Oh. It was some of well, the OG LA also tracks, has four the, million the original people tracks living there. 
I was sitting there thinking, I was like, you know what? There you go. The state Duh. of North Carolina did because North Wilkesboro, Rockingham, and Charlotte all got money. Mm. SMI is putting money into the fairgrounds. We're going to these tracks that are the original tracks, and we're also doing this other stuff at the Coliseum. It's a yes and. It's not an either or. We're paying homage to the history of the sport, but also trying to push the ball forward. Let me, let me rabbit hole this thing a little bit. Yeah, like there's a ton of people everywhere you look. I mean, the Coliseum is about an outlier for the best possible venues you can go to. Like, let's take that out of consideration. Like, what do we do with Iowa? Do we go to Iowa? Or do we, since it's not in a market, do we just kind of let it be and, like, die a slow death? Des Moines is a, a hell of a town. Like, It I, is, like, but Newton is not a very close drive to Des Moines. It's like an hour. Yeah. Everybody agrees we need more short tracks. But you need more short tracks in better markets. I don't know. I guess I should ask him about Iowa because he probably would have been able to answer my question. Yeah, the the money the money argument that I see people bring up cracks me up. Like, I could have spent this money. Why do you care what money NASCAR spending? They're not spending your money. It's yeah. not taxpayers' money. It's NASCAR's money. Right. They can like like <laughs> that is like such a dumb argument to me. Um, like, find something else to be pissed off about. But like the the racetrack thing, we've seen you know forever since we went to Texas for the first time, since we went to Kentucky the first time. There was such a traffic jam getting to Kentucky the first time that you there was people that were leaving the track and other people hadn't even gotten in yet before the race started. And, and then we, you know, we saw Kentucky get pulled off the schedule without full grandstands. So there is something to maybe just going to those markets not every year, definitely not twice a year. I think like as much as I love going to Darlington, if you go there and run the Southern, the Southern 500. 500, it makes it more prestigious that you're only going there once. So I would love to get to a place and there's... Like, Leave Darlington out of this. We're going there twice. Yeah, <laughs> Vegas. Yeah, I can do any, that. Twice. I think anywhere. I think anywhere, and it makes each race more special and more prestigious to run when you go somewhere once. Valid points. Yes, Daytona, sir. Darlington, Martinsville, Bristol. Give me twice. That being said, both Bristol's be asphalt or concrete. That being Perfect. said, there is a, a lot more that goes into those decisions than anybody can ever know. TV <laughs> yes. contracts, like yeah. it's not just like yeah, we'll just wipe it off. You can't just <laughs> yeah. go on NASCAR no. '98 and write out a schedule. It's not how it works. <laughs> Come back, we'll get some pit road boats and woes because there were some guys sitting on pit road with some good cars at the end of that LA clash and we'll dig into it some after the break. It's pit road boats and woes time with the front changer who wasn't out at LA because they didn't have any pit crews, Ryan Flores. Yep, got to watch it just as an organic race fan. How was that? I loved it. I love Tony Stewart in the booth. I think that yeah. he did a great job. Like, he's the perfect uh, he's the perfect guy because he's like such a racer. I feel like we get no. We've talked about this, but like he wasn't trying to explain every little thing. Like, if you're watching racing, you get it. And he was, you know, using racing terms. That he, he was really good. And he, him and Clint complimented each other well. So that was fun. I think sometimes the broadcast dumbs it down a little bit too much. Like, Correct. if you watch an F1 broadcast, it is very technical. They're into all the strategies. They're calling people out when they make mistakes. Like, we lose a little bit of that on our side for some reason. I think Smoke's the best guy. Hey, if I'm watching curling in the Olympics and they're talking about something that I don't understand, I'll just pop it up and Google it. And I know it in two seconds. Yeah. Hey, if you're watching racing and you don't understand something, Google it. Yeah. You'll figure it out. It's pretty quick. Or, hey, how about this? Have the broadcasters tell you what you're supposed to know. Yeah. Yeah, you should know. You, you should know. know this. But I, I, have a, I have a funny one. What do you got? I, I, it happened in our gym this week. And, uh, at Penske? At Penske, and I want to let, I think, um, Merriman and Chuckle like this as much, too. So, speaking of Harrison Burton earlier, 
he was in the gym working out the other day at Penske and uh, Braxton Brandon, who's been a, um, he's been a Jackman for a long time at Penske, he won championships, probably won damn close to 50 races. He, uh, he's, he's very much a jock, but he gets it. He walks up to Harrison as a joke. He obviously knew who Harrison was and he said, what's up brother, I'm Braxton. He said, hey man, I'm Harrison. And he said, Harrison, what position are you trying out for? <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, I'm the driver of the 21. And he goes, oh, well, I'll be damned. Good luck this year. <laughs> but yeah, old Harry was getting, he's getting it from all ends over there being a rookie. Well, like Chuck said, he ain't no wood chopper. I don't even know what that analogy meant. But there's a couple cars sitting behind the wall. The best car there, the strongest one, pretty much all weekend was that eight car, Tyler Reddick. Broke for the first time, the fans are hearing it, a propeller shaft. Not a drive shaft, a propeller shaft. Now, if you don't know what a propeller shaft is, it is literally in the same spot a drive shaft was from the transmission to the rear end of the previous car. But now, since it's bolted up solid, there's a clutch behind the engine, but it goes to the transaxle. Now the drive shafts are what goes out of the transaxle out to the tires in the rear end. So the prop shaft is a carbon fiber shaft that goes from the engine to the transaxle. What happened in Tyler's instance is when you're under caution and you're trying to spin the tires to get the get some heat in it one, but also get the the accumulated rubber off the surface of the tire. The gearing was so low you couldn't spin the tires up. Like yeah. you had to you had to push the clutch in, rev the motor up, and then dump the clutch to get some wheel spin in first gear. And when he dumped the clutch, those hot tires, whatever they were, 40, 50 laps into the race, bit more than what they were as stickers. So when the when the the propeller shaft is has a joint that goes in to the front of the transaxle, it's steel, but the majority of it's carbon fiber and it's bonded. Whatever they, Elmer's glue, Play-Doh, <laughs> duct tape, I don't know what that they use. That carbon fiber bonding's no joke. The carbon use, fiber yes. bonding's no joke, but with the amount of force that the engine's making, it couldn't spin the tires when he dropped the clutch. So the steel piece and the carbon fiber piece broke yep. the same caution as the 14. Yeah. They both broke it at the same time doing the exact same thing. So Well, the 14 was shifting all weekend, even in qualifying. So so his stuff was... Already probably, like, softened. It was getting beaten up. Yeah, yes. it was getting beaten up because he was turning that motor a lot more RPM than the guys that weren't shifting. But uh, it could have been degrading at that point in time. But obviously, that was that's what we're going to learn over the course of these next couple of weeks. West Coast Swing, we'll figure out what the weak point is as guys start to get miles on the transaxle the steering racks, all these new things that are new for the next-gen car. Obviously, that uh, you can't be dropping the clutch and spinning the tires when they're warm. Well, yeah, and you need to, like, there needs to be a little bit of taking care of your stuff. Like, yeah. like you can't make these things bulletproof and just go beat the crap out of them. Right. Like, forever, it's been part of, you know, 500-mile race because... You don't you, want to abuse your car. You, and you got to have your stuff make it, right? Yeah. So that's... That's a that's a big part of this, and I did see some feedback from that, and I also saw you know the eleven car had a belt get chucked off. Yep, he so he had a power steering pump belt. I don't know if it was loose or it lost a little bit of tension with the pump, and it lost the belt, ripped the power steering lines off, and they just deemed it too long to repair to get back going. But what wasn't too long to repair was the twelve's toe link, which is also a new part for the next gen car, since it's an independent rear suspension. They have little essentially links that go from the upper control arm to the upright that holds the rear tires and that's how you tow the rear end. 
uh, individually. So uh, when you hit that, that's the first thing to go. It's about the size of your pinky, like in diameter, but about eight inches long. And that's the weak point. So when the 43 hit the 12, the 12 hit the fence, it bent that toe link. And obviously you can't drive it, but you were talking about it before the show, that wouldn't be on the list of parts that you could change if you get in an accident. Yeah, that's why I was confused. When he was back out on the racetrack, he got another Hans device because he had chucked his and they had a spare one down there. They had the driver bag down there and um, he went back out and I'm like, man, you, I saw them working on it, but I'm like, on, on NASCAR's damaged car policy, you can't fix that after a wreck. Now, we have seen in all-star races before and, and in non-points races where they let that go, but that was kind of my question today to our crew chiefs was, are they gonna let us fix this? Because I, if they're gonna do this, we need to obviously understand what the weak link is in the front and the rear, and then I have to understand how to change that. That'd probably be and more I, of a car chief thing going over the wall and changing it though, it, probably, right? It could, yeah, it could be, but you know, you, you also need to know how to do it. And what if you what if you do one on the front and one on the back? I don't wanna be the guy that like has to stay, I wanna be the guy whose number's called when that thing's wrecked, not yeah. the one that has to stay back and watch them fix it. I don't wanna see anybody else do a job I can do. Yeah. But that that is something like that NASCAR is gonna make a call on. I think they're they're looking at that, but are you gonna be able to change just that link? Is there gonna be, you know, what's gonna be the limitation of what we can change? Because if you start opening up Pandora's box, you know, you'll be back to having uh, upper and lower control arms on pit road, and I know that's not gonna fly. So uh, so that'll well, be interesting to see what call they made on that. They might be able to open the, you know, list of what you can change to toe links and maybe even upper control arms, but if they keep that caution clock at five minutes, you're not gonna be able to get an upper control arm change in five minutes. No. You could possibly get a toe link change in five minutes. So that's just another thing that NASCAR's learning through having this thing on the racetrack. What breaks, what are the processes there are to keep the show going, similar to how it had been in the past. And that's just another item line on the list. So uh, that was interesting to see a couple of those guys, they were contenders uh, getting taken out of the race. So maybe they'll be a little more conservative on their parts, pieces. I agree with you. They don't need to be bulletproof. They also should be able to stand up to the load. Now we also have to take in consideration, these tires are three inches wider. That was a high horsepower package. So a lot of these companies are, have been making, X-Tracks been making transaxles for 40, 30 years for way lighter road course racing cars, right? With similar amount of tire grip, but not as heavy race cars. So all these things uh, are coming to light because they're working on cars or stuck in cars they necessarily weren't designed for. They just been bulked up to fit. So well, a lot of stuff here. How long did we run four nine inch rears for? And Since we broke the beginning of time. We broke those at Martinsville every time we went. Right. Right. So like you're gonna break stuff. Yeah. We are, you know, we have you know, five to seven hundred horsepower in these things, and you're romping the throttle place like Martinsville off concrete on the asphalt. The same thing, you know, yeah. you're trying to get as much drive as you can and it's D cell, X cell, D cell, X cell. So you're gonna break it. It's a lot of load. Like these aren't your street cars that you service every every five thousand miles. You're gonna break stuff. You're gonna break stuff, and then you're gonna have some pit road woes. There you have it. We got some more stuff to talk about here in the show. We got pennies for your thoughts coming up, and a little spare change to wrap this thing out. Stay tuned. All right, it's time for Penny for Your Thoughts, hashtag on Twitter. Send in your questions, and I will answer them each and every week. So, Janie, what are the thoughts this week? 
We've got a couple good thoughts. A lot of people had questions about The Clash, so we'll just get right into it. Let's do it. Quick Pit Podcast asks, after seeing how smaller teams such as RWR performed on Sunday, how optimistic are you about the parody of the new car? Mm, well, Rick Ware, you know, is still a small team. I think they have some guys working out of a shop, but they, you know, all their cars are getting built at Seward Haas and set up. So, like, they literally drive their truck over there, pick the car up, and bring it to the racetrack. So, it's not the same game as we've been seeing where Rick Ware has five-year-old cars anymore, right? So, you're going to have guys, like, now a bad day if you miss a setup, you're getting passed by BJ McLeod. You're getting passed by Cody Ware because really and truly they're having equally as nice cars if not set up a little bit better than you because they were set up by Stuart Haas guys so uh, I think it's great for the sport it's the high tide raises all ships and what it also does is if you miss it like we did this last Sunday like you can go to the drawing board and figure something else out and you're not worried about the oil tank that you can't go by the truck arms the left side truck arm that only Hendrick makes or the shocks that Gibbs has that you can't run like we have the same parts. We just have to figure out how to put them together better to make our stuff drive good. So uh, I do, I still am optimistic. I'm a little less optimistic. Uh, I thought that my, my hopes going into the LA Clash were maybe a little bit too high for what our team is capable of at the moment, but we will continue to get better each and every week. Now, with Rick Ware being, picking their car from Stuart Haas, they're not the only one benefiting from that. Stuart Haas also, Back you know, to our data point stuff, conversation. You know, that's just another car worth of data, two cars worth of data that Stuart Haas gets back too. So they're learning twice as quick. Big so teams see together. the value in, to your point about air pressure, right? You can run six different sleeps of air pressure in one run, where it would take a team like Spire with two cars, three to four runs to get the same amount of data. With the limited amount of practice we saw at the clash, with the limited practice, only 20 minutes, we'll see at all the other tracks. Data points are going to be super valuable and that's where I'm a little bit nervous with being a smaller team with an inconsistent teammate one you know one week it's one guy one week's the next uh, I think we can potentially get a step behind but we'll have to bear down and get after it question number two Janie Odell underscore Michael asks what do you think car setup wise will translate from the clash to other racetracks I hope none of whatever setup was in my car translates anywhere else but I think that people just learn what makes grip, what makes, you know, keeps the platform flat. You know, the, anything, no matter what track you're at, road course, oval, Daytona, there are things to learn that apply everywhere or the opposite effect everywhere. So the more you can just wrap your head around what changes the car does or what you can do to, to air pressure or diff pressure or the number of things that uh, you can adjust on this next gen car, like the box is big to set the car up in. So. Now those little fine, those little really incremental changes of shocks and wedge and things like that that were a little bit mundane are gonna matter that much more. All right, and our last one from Tony Hall says, you were the first to call it. What's it gonna take to make Next Gen Joe stick? I don't know. I don't know if he wants it to stick, but uh, he is the first ever Next Gen winner. So as far as I'm concerned, he is Next Gen Joe. If you guys push it, we gotta, we gotta peer pressure him in to do it. Next Gen Joe, now he's a father of three. He's Joe, he's got glasses, he's got the look. Just go ahead and shave the hair, buddy. Commit to Next Gen Joe. You deserve it. I mean, rebranding. He's Next in his Gen. 30s, man, you gotta drop the Y. You gotta drop Can't the Y. Can't be a 30-year-old Joey. Yeah, he's not my little boy Joey anymore. He's a man, Joe. Next Strong. Gen Joe Logano. Next Gen Joe. I think it Do works. It. I think it, it, it'll stick. Just 
do it. I mean, you know, maybe what, next time uh, he wins the next gen race, we can have him on and uh, just hammer that home. Every question. Here. Yeah. Until, so, Joe. Until he physically changes his name on his birth certificate, yeah. he's not leaving the he's not leaving the podcast. And that that's all we got for Paying for Your Thoughts. Thanks, Janie. We're doing a big Daytona episode coming up next week. Stand by. I guess I'm over the clash. Move on. Great event. I sucked. We sucked. We'll be back next year with bells on. But the Daytona 500, that's the big one. And we'll get after it. So are you saying that the clash is going to happen next year at LA Coliseum? You got some insider information? I think we just heard that. I think Corey just broke that news. I mean, I, you, you can think it's broken all you want to. I have no inside sources. <laughs> I literally just talked Darn. to the guy that would have any sort of indiction on that. But, uh, yeah, I would love to see it happen again. Love to see it happen every year. But for now, appreciate what we got this past week as a race car driver being myself and being a race fan of the sport. So thank you all for joining us and stacking Penny. See you next week.